Uh, today we're taking a look at feminism and porn, asking the question that is too often asked, are feminism and porn completely incompatible? Or is feminist porn a possibility? And if so, what would be its parameters? How would it differ from so-called mainstream porn? As a response to racism in the pornography industry, the owner of a Toronto-based sex shop, Good For Her, founded the annual Feminist Porn Awards and in so doing sparked an important dialogue about feminism, sexuality, and stereotypes. My guest today, Nico Snyder, has been writing about the possibility of feminist porn uh, at length. Uh, Nico Snyder is a cultural producer living in Saskatchewan, Canada. Uh, for those Americans, that's above us. In 2001, she launched a Canadian third-wave feminist magazine, Good Girl, which was nominated for an Utney Independent Press Award for Best New Title. In 2003, she completed a Master's in Environmental Studies from York University in Toronto with a concentration on anti-oppression media. After closing Good Girl's magazine's doors in 2004, Nico went on to publish two other independent Canadian magazines, Ascent, a magazine focused on socially engaged spirituality, and Briar Patch, a social and environmental justice magazine. She currently makes her home in Regina, Saskatchewan, where she spends her time playing cello, making films, and writing for magazines on subjects ranging from Buddhist meditation to feminist pornography. And her latest uh, musings on feminist pornography can be found in Bitch Magazine, Feminist Response to Pop Culture. And uh, Nico joins us on KUCI. Good morning. Hi. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us. So how how is the weather in Saskatchewan these days? Oh, Saskatchewan is um, it's finally warming up. It's getting close to being spring, but there's still lots of snow on the ground. Well, we thank you for uh, for joining us. Why don't we begin? I'm not going to ask the uh, the the tired question about whether feminism and porn are at all compatible because I, I think it's it's pretty obvious that uh, I wouldn't have you on if we didn't think that there was at least some potential. So let's uh, let's move on. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that struck me uh, as I was reading uh, the article in, in Bitch Magazine, when we talk about feminist porn, feminist for whom? For the actresses or for the audience? Right. Yeah, and that seemed to be um, what came up as, I guess, the biggest point of contention or the biggest area where there was a lot of debate. Um, for the filmmakers I talked to, what I ended up doing was talking to five filmmakers whose work had been recognized uh, by the Feminist Porn Awards, um, just to talk, try to gauge from them how they felt, um, what they thought differentiated their work from the mainstream, whether they thought it was feminist or not, or even pornography or not, but how they felt it was differentiated if they did it all. And a lot of that came down to kind of this idea of content versus process. So content being anything that we see, that the audience can actually see um, in the film versus um, the process of production, how the performers are treated, um, what kind of goes on behind the scenes. Uh, and those are two very different things. And um, that was kind of that seemed to be sort of how the discussion broke down. So then let's explore some of the, the concerns for, for listeners who might not be, uh, be too familiar with the debate. Um, let's start with uh, why do people assume, and this might be a very obvious, uh, obvious question, but why do people assume that uh, pornography is not something that uh, can fit well with feminism? 
Um, I think that part of it, a big part of it, has to do with where the content of mainstream pornography has gone sort of in the recent past. It's become, uh, I think, um, in terms of imagery and just what's dominant most mainstream, it's become very aggressive and um, often hostile and degrading towards women. So it's often really hard to, um, if you're exposed to some of this uh, mainstream imagery, to wonder at all, like, how is this possible that women could ever choose to do this kind of work? Um, put these, put themselves in these kind of situations, and so uh, that right there becomes something that a lot of people just can't get by at all. It's like, well, what? How could this even be possible in terms of reconciling with um, feminism in terms of uh, equal, you know, fair, or equal, um, humane treatment for for women? So right. That's P- particularly the, I think it's the, the gonzo uh, genre where uh, women seem to be degraded, uh, not that sex particular is degrading, but the, the kind of sex, the scenarios and the precursors and, and after effects where, where the, the, the men in the, uh, in the scene are in no way, shape or form degraded or debased or humiliated. Uh, is, is that one example? Definitely, yeah. I think um, gonzo porn, which kind of refers mostly to, I think originally it refers to um, uh, a type of pornography that's not as much storyline based. So it, it focuses just purely on the sex act, and it gets the camera right into the scene, and it acknowledges the camera. So it's a sort of idea of like cinema verite um, in pornography. So the camera's right there, and uh, that's the focus. is really up close. Um, and it's almost like if if porn can be considered mainstream, then it's almost as if the gonzo genre uh, is like the circus sideshow. It's trying to out-porn porn in a sense. True, except for that that genre has become the mainstream. Very, very mainstream. <laughs> right. And so that's and and what's in that genre is becoming more and more extreme. So. Okay. It's like we're moving, I think the mainstream seems to be moving further and further towards extreme in terms of content. So, right, so, so, that, that, so that's a content, I'm sorry, that's a content-based concern about right. feminism and pornography. What are some of the other concerns? Um, well, obviously there's a concern that, um, I mean, sometimes when you see some of this content, it's really hard to imagine that, that the people there performing the pornography want to be there or have consented to be there. It's not clear. It's hard to imagine how they could make that decision. So um, a lot of people who are making what they might deem feminist pornography uh, come from a very sex worker positive perspective. So really, um, uh, first of all, trying to make sure that anyone working in pornography, uh, anyone they're working with, say as a a director or filmmaker, that they're ensuring that their performers are treated uh, with the utmost respect and and acknowledging that what is being asked of them is, is, is incredible. Uh, and and also highly con- consequential in terms of of what they're they're doing. So um, in terms of just having the uh, paying them properly, making sure that they're only performing things that they are you know consenting to do, that they're not springing surprises on them at the last minute, um, and oftentimes collaborating and really trying to kind of work with the performers to 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 get at sort of what they what they want to be doing um, and, and try to kind of approach it that way. So that's kind of that idea of fair trade porn that um, 
which, which is my favorite uh, <laughs> quote from the uh, from the article, and I, I don't think I'm alone in that because it seems that the editors have. Uh, you know, that's the pull quote from, from your article, right. which is basically, uh, if there's no sticker on the front of a DVD identifying it as fair trade porn, how can I know if it was produced in a way I can support? I'm going to go out on a limb here for a second, and maybe my gender will be showing, but when I debate the issue of pornography with uh, a lot of people, uh, they often highlight the fact that uh, actors, but particularly actresses, I should should make it very gender specific since there is a, a dichotomy, uh, at least in porn, a very clearly delineated uh, one, um, that uh, the the workers are exploited, that they, they're not getting the health care they need, that uh, they might not be paid fair wages, that, you know, what the women make compared to what the men or the bosses or whatnot might be making. And I always point out that so it seems that your issue isn't pornography so much as capitalism. Mm -hmm. Recognizing that there's a very big difference between being exploited in retail uh, or even being exploited, say, in one of the Tijuana Maquiladoras or in, in sweatshops around the world, we do know that there are you know, sexual exploitation, uh, uh, scenarios of sexual exploitation in the general workplace. Is there an exceptionalism with the porn industry because it includes the taboo of sex? I mean, is, is a focus simply on uh, the exploitation of porn um, a, a form of exceptionalism? And should we not be tackling any female in any workplace who's being exploited? Well, I think... Certainly, any kind of any sort of gender-based discrimination should be addressed. Um, this particular form of this particularly visible cultural example of where women are are being exploited—not just exploited, but um, it's, I mean, it's sexuality is probably one of the the most, if not the most. Um, primary kind of locations of, of gender oppression, I would say. Like, it's just, it's so obvious that, that women's sexuality is still one of the, the areas where we, um, I guess, struggle uh, with, against discrimination. So it seems like porn is uh, one of the, the key places where this is playing out. So, and I guess one of the things that came up with the, with, it comes up with anti, like, seriously anti-porn, like anti-all-porn kind of feminists, but it also came up with the, with some of the uh, filmmakers, feminist pornographers that I talked to, is this idea of choice, like how can women, you know, what what is involved with making a real, true, free choice to, to do this kind of work? And I think that that's something that a lot of people disagree on, whether people can, whether women can really truly come to this decision um, from a free place, or if it is just truly always rooted in a capitalist kind of patriarchal society, if we can really separate the two out. Sure. And, and to, to critique my critique, you know, there's a very big difference. Uh, I, I know a lot of, uh, you know, my friends uh, were, were, were very into uh, uh, fair trade, and uh, I've actually brought some of my students down to, uh, to take a tour of the Maquiladoras in Tijuana and to, to meet some of the uh, the women who were featured in the uh, the documentary Maquilopolis, if you're familiar with that, and uh, 
there's a very big difference between purchasing a product that you're probably certain was manufactured in uh, not the optimal uh, labor conditions. Uh, you feel guilty about it. You might drink your cup of coffee in the morning and wonder about the coffee growers, but you're not taking the kind of pleasure in it that uh, you would be, say, with porn. There's also a very big difference between uh, products manufactured overseas and products that are manufactured here in uh, Van Nuys, California. So, right. so while I think it, it is important to uh, to not just focus in on porn because it, it includes peepees and wee-wees and we're a very puritanical uh, Judeo-Christian society, uh, but recognize that it's it's not just the reaction to how the stuff is is produced, but our reaction post production that I think matters. That you're almost taking pleasure in uh, the potential exploitation of women. Right, and I think that that kind of leads us into potentially um, a discussion of of what is what are we watching then? What is the content that people are taking this kind of pleasure from? Um, because it is you know it is really um, crucially important that that whatever kind of production, it, you know, behind the scenes stuff is happening, that that all the performers are being treated in a way that's that's fair and uh, humane, and and that that's all uh, front of mind for the for for the filmmakers. But the reality is that when we're sitting down to to consume some of this material, um, what kind of content is is being produced is is really, really important, too. And, and I think all of the filmmakers I spoke to sort of addressed that in different ways. Um, but one of the ways that jumps to mind is, is um, uh, by not just focusing on the, the sex acts, but really trying to uh, bring in some kind of context for who these people are as, as human beings. Like, these are, these are not just uh, one of the Tristan Taramino, one of the filmmakers I interviewed, uh, said that she really tried to focus on on developing a three dimensional character for for her performers because what usually she called it uh, these one dimensional sex robots. She said that are what we normally see in porn. So that was really key for her was that there be brought into the the content some degree of of, of um, dimension and humanity into these characters, into these people. I want to remind listeners, they're in tune to KUCI in Irvine. This is Justice or Just Us. We're speaking with Nico Snyder. She is uh, the author of an article taking a look at uh, what makes feminist porn feminist in the current issue of Bitch Magazine. Uh, she's also the uh, publisher of two independent Canadian magazines, Ascent and Briarpatch. Um, well, let's take a look at that because I thought it was really interesting um, that... As someone who's been trying to make sense of feminist porn, you got you went out and interviewed uh, a sample of some of the uh, the people who have received awards, uh, the, the feminist uh, porn awards. And um, well, let, let's take one quick step back. So, how did you come across? If it's not too personal a question, <laughs> how did you uh, come across the topic of uh, feminist porn? And then we'll we'll take a look specifically at. Uh, what some of the different filmmakers had to say about that. Okay. Um, well, I was in Toronto last summer, and I had just missed the second annual Feminist Porn Awards, and I, I think I came across something about the event in a, in a local paper there, and I just thought, oh, that sounds so interesting. And, um, and then I sort of realized that I didn't 
that I, I think I, if, if I'd had the opportunity to go to the event, I, I really would have, and, and that I was really curious about, about what, that, what that looked like. What did, pornogra- what did feminist pornography look like? Um, who were the people that were making this stuff, and, and what did they actually think about it? So I just got a bit nosy, and I decided that I would start calling up some of the filmmakers and uh, I just I have a real interest in in how sexuality is portrayed in in popular culture and uh, pornography is just it, it's such a, a major way that sexuality is being portrayed right now. So it seems like a natural area to explore. You know, one of the things that uh, that came out both in in the bitch article and then there's one available uh, at Briarpatch is that uh, pornography for better or worse seems to have been uh, the dividing feature in uh, in feminism over the past I don't know 20, 30 years. I don't know if it uh, is part of the split or if it's just sexuality in general between, you know, so-called second wave and, and third wave feminism but as a, an author, editor, cultural critic, and uh, cello player, um, uh, is, is, has pornography been an issue that you've had to grapple with uh, in your writings and in your work? I guess this was really the first time I had really had to, to grapple with it. I think that um, it's pretty easy not to, even as a feminist, even as somebody who thinks about gender and thinks about sexuality a lot, um, I had pretty well avoided this particular topic, and um, I was one thing that I felt like I needed to do was was after I had spoken to a lot of these a lot of people who were you know dealing in in ex- sexually explicit material and, and actually creating that kind of uh, cultural production through these through these films. Um, I felt like I needed to maybe you know stay honest and like and do some anti-porn reading and stuff and and so I kind of went that route too and and read uh, one book um, recently uh, by a man called Robert Jensen who's a really radical anti-porn feminist um, just to try to really make sure that I had I was really considering both sides and and it is hard because there are really valid um, and emotionally challenging arguments to deal with on both sides of the issue. I can see why it's been so divisive Absolutely. for so long. I wish there was some kind of resolution. I, I don't know that there's going to be. <laughs> well, let's see if maybe uh, this, this trend of feminist porn, if we could call it a trend, uh, might be uh, a resolution. Because one of the things that uh, I particularly liked in your uh, review of the, uh, the Jensen book was your critique that uh, despite the strengths of the book that Jensen seems to dismiss the relevance of, and I'm quoting you now, Jensen dismisses the relevance of any alternative approaches to creating sexually explicit film. And so let's, let's see some of the efforts that uh, filmmakers have made to uh, uh, create alternative approaches. One of the things that you, you hinted on before about trying to present three-dimensional characters uh, I, I don't remember who said this, but someone had said that they wanted to show everything that sex could possibly be, which suggests that one aspect of feminist porn is moving beyond parts, you know, parts are parts kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah, and that's not, um, I mean, one thing that came up really strongly was, was this idea that uh, or an assumption that often comes along with an idea of feminist pornography, what that is, is that it is one thing. It looks like one thing. It's, it's about, you know, um, telling stories, uh, 
contextualize stories about the characters, um, that it would be storyline-based, that maybe it would focus on um, certain uh, portrayals of sexuality, like it might be, you know, only lesbian sex would be portrayed or something. And, and the filmmakers were really clear on that, that well, and, and the feminists, the people who organized the Feminist Porn Awards mostly were very clear on that um, it's not about genre. Like, there isn't one thing that... that that makes something feminist. So yeah, each filmmaker that I talked to was really trying to to get at, you know, I guess their own interpretation of what that might look like. And yeah, for one, um, one of actually, I spoke to five filmmakers. One of them was a man. Everyone else was a woman. And um, Tony Comstock, who he he with his wife um, Peggy produces uh, documentary films about real life couples and so and their sexual their sex lives. So he will kind of have interviews about their with them about their lives and then have um, explicit sexual scenes with them. And so for him, that was really about if he's going to be sort of exploring sexuality and sex, he wants to um, focus not just on the, the physical acts but on the, the emotional, the, the intimacy, you know, the emotional aspects of sex. That, that all was really important for him. So that's his approach. Um, and other, the other filmmakers took different approaches as well. For example... Um, for example, Tristan Termino uh, is she. Her background uh, in terms of a filmmaker, she started out as doing um, doing instructional sex videos. So she did uh, guide to anal sex for women, and I think guide to oral sex. And she's done a bunch of um, instructional um, videos. Uh, and then she, I guess, got into a more of a gonzo uh, genre. So this really kind of um, you know this genre. Of very much focused on this, just just the physical act and really kind of just up close, down and dirty. Um, but her take on it, um, her series is called Chemistry, and there's a few volumes, uh, is that she, it's like a reality series. So it's, um, she, she brings together professional adult performers and kind of puts them in a house together for 48 hours or something and and just lets them kind of go at it and make all of the decisions about who they have sex with, when, why, how often. You know, everything is in, in their court. It's their decision. And so for her, that's really key, um, sort of empowering the performers to, to make the decisions about, about what they're going to be performing. And then she interviews them and kind of talks about the process and kind of if there's something that's really controversial, like some sex act that maybe is, uh, involves like rough sex or, or something, that she uses the interviews to kind of uh, tease out with the performers sort of how they obtain consent, what their boundaries are, how that sort of reflects their own sexuality. And kind of uh, for her, that kind of creating that context and empowering the performers is what makes that her pornography feminist in that instance. So it's almost an attempt to to put a fair trade uh, stamp on uh, the production quality or production value of something by by showing the before, during, and after effects of of what you're seeing on the screen. Right. So it's trying to bring it right into the content. This a bit of analysis of of sort of what is going on on the screen. Um, and I Which, think, yeah. well, and I think it's clear from what you said that, um, you know, th- there's a point that, uh, is it uh, Chanel Gallant, is that how you pronounce? Yep. Uh, who is the uh, the creator of the Feminist uh, Porn Awards, that 
uh, feminist porn does not necessarily exclude any particular sexual act. So then what, according to Gallant, are the, uh, the parameters as, as she envisioned it of uh, feminist porn? And I think you, you list three in the Briarpatch uh, article. Yeah, so what the, um, I guess, the Feminist Porn Awards had to come up with some criteria for, for what, you know, what might make uh, feminist pornography feminist um, in the context of the awards. So they, yeah, I think it had to fulfill, a film had to fulfill two criteria, two of three criteria. One was that a woman was substantially involved in the, in the making of the film, either as a writer, producer, or director. Um, and then the second was uh, that... Um, the film depicts genuine female pleasure, and the third was that it expands the range of, of sexual expression for women. So I guess if a film could show two of those three things, it uh, was eligible for a feminist porn award. Which doesn't sound too controversial to me. I mean, it seems like uh, this should be standard in, in any kind of work, but in particular porn where women are uh, too often on the receiving end of, uh, of exploitation. Um, so uh, to that end, then, where, uh, what has been the response uh, of uh, audiences to, to feminist porn? I mean, you hear feminist porn and, and uh, you assume, you know, that every narrative is about love and that, you know, uh, any kind of, as you said, rough sex is out of the question and, and so forth. But as, as I think you're, you're doing a great job at dispelling, that isn't necessarily the case. So in your interviews with, uh, with Chanel, uh, what has been the response of, uh, of consumers of porn? Well, apparently it's just, you know, after the awards, people will just flock into Good For Her uh, to buy rent videos. Um, it just sounds like um, there's a huge demand for people to be able to find sexually explicit material that that they don't have to feel like that they feel that they it's okay they don't have to feel guilty about it they can feel um, like that's a positive expression of their sexuality um, that they might be able to watch it with their partner or alone or whatever but that it's not about uh, shame or taboo it's it's just about a healthy sexuality and and if you know there's some evidence uh, that that, you know, the people in the films are being treated with respect and care, then that's probably even better. Although that's not, you know, I don't think there's, there isn't a regulating body for fair trade porn uh, as of yet, as, I'm, uh, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> that would be great, though, if there was. It wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> you know, and then one last question, and then I want to give you an opportunity to tell our listeners about some of your other uh, writing endeavors, uh, give a good plug for Briar Patch and so forth. But... Um, one of the things that is perhaps most uh, interesting about uh, the origin of the Feminist Porn Awards is that it actually started out not necessarily as a response to gender issues or uh, misogyny, but to, uh, to racism mm -hmm. in uh, the pornography industry. And, uh, you know, we had a chance to talk kind of uh, through email before today's show, and I... I confessed that uh, I tend to have a knee-jerk reaction to depictions of uh, race in, in pop culture. So 
when I walk out of a movie theater with friends, they always love the film, and I always seem to find some reason to assume that the film is uh, is either inherently or just latently racist. Um, and yet, I'm a big defender of uh, the potential for porn, at least the the, the concept that. Uh, uh, women should be allowed to enjoy sexuality and to live out their fantasies, and so should men, and that we live in a very repressed culture. So maybe that's the, the gendered aspect of the fact that I'm coming from the, the topic from, from a male perspective, but uh, certainly if uh, pornography stereotypes females, it's going to certainly stereotype every other potential uh, <laughs> demographic as well. Um, so talk about that, what you gained in your conversations from, uh, from Chanel and from the other filmmakers, not only about stereotypes of, of gender, but, you know, any demographic. Um, yeah, well, as you mentioned, the Feminist Porn Awards were really inspired by the fact that there is this really... Um, prevalent uh, just stereotyping in, in pornography of, 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 I guess, racial stereotypes often and, and just really, um, you know, just not great or terrible uh, depictions of, of uh, people of color and, yeah, these, these stereotypes that exist. So they were really trying to respond to that. And... Um, uh, a couple of the filmmakers I talked to are making films. Um, I mean, everybody was was addressing um, race in porn. That that seemed to be front of mind for every filmmaker I talked to. Um, and two, in particular, two women that I talked to were uh, they're coming at their work um, as women of color. So um, it was interesting to to just um, one of them, uh, a woman that goes by. Uh, the name of Venus Hottentot, she, um, her film was really, she was trying to tell a story about, you know, about her, you know, about African-American women and sort of really addressing in the storyline um, issues that are affecting that community. Um, and that was one way of, of kind of addressing uh, race. Other ways are just, you know, just trying to use different bodies, different shades of, of skin, different, like, natural hair, just things that are completely absent from mainstream pornography. Um, you know, basically just real bodies, real people, um, real sexuality. So, yeah, it was very interesting. So then what is your take-home uh, lesson? What, what do you walk away from uh, this research having gained? can't say that I walked away any less conflicted. Well, I think I was actually less conflicted when I started out than I am now. I feel like I have a, a much deeper understanding of how complicated it is. Um, I think it's really exciting and inspiring that, that people are taking it in hand, like um, that they're not just sort of abandoning the entire adult industry or sexuality or cultural representations of sex, but that people are taking it in hand and really exploring alternatives to what is happening in the mainstream. And I think that in any kind of cultural industry, that's really important to be, you know, uh, taking over the means of production and just and, and creating alternatives. So to see that people are doing that in really critical and creative ways was, was pretty inspiring. And so I'm, I'm happy to see that that's going on. 
Great. Well, I want to give you an opportunity uh, in the minute or two we have left. Uh, tell our listeners about some of your uh, your other endeavors. Uh, I have to confess that I have not seen, other than the website, Briar Patch here in the States. So uh, tell our listeners about some of your other publications. Um, yeah, so uh, Briar Patch is a very small um, magazine here, so uh, in Canada, and its focus is on social justice and environmental issues, and it's it's pretty radical and um, pretty excellent. So that was one area um, they have, Briar Patch has a really great focus on gender um, and sexuality also, and every year has a, a gender so sort of focused issue. Um, so this year in that issue, I had an interview with Chanel Gallant, the, the founder of the Feminist Porn Awards, and also a review of, of um, the Robert Jensen book. So, so, but that just, and there was a bunch of other great stuff on sort of gender and sexuality. Uh, so you could check that out. Listeners could check that out at briarpatchmagazine.com. Um, and yeah, there's just, <laughs> I live in a small city in the middle of nowhere, uh, but it's, it's, there's lots going on. Uh, up here in Canada, it's pretty exciting, and there's lots to do. Although it's cold right now. Well, you uh, you certainly uh, have brought uh, a new topic to our attention. Uh, give us the website again for Briar Patch. It's uh, briarpatchmagazine.com. So the word magazine spelled out. BriarPatchMagazine.com. Uh, do check it out. You should also check out uh, the article. Uh, where's the title? Adult Education, What Makes Feminist Porn Feminist. It is available in the uh, April, it looks like, issue of uh, Bitch Magazine, available at your, uh, your local newsstand. And uh, Nico Snyder, thank you so much for being with us. We'll have to have you back soon. It was my pleasure. Thanks, Jarrett. Take care.